What's up, guys? Four Corners. We are previewing the Pacific Division today. I'm here, your uh, co-host, Solar Rays, on Twitter with uh, Peter, Buckets and Sadie. How have your buckets been? Doing good. We're uh, we're moving along pretty well through this. Good, good, good. Yeah, and we definitely are. So we're going to get right into it, starting off with the Golden State Warriors. Uh, tell me about their illustrious coach, Steve Kerr. How's he doing? Steve Kerr, uh, by all accounts, one of the most successful uh, people in NBA history, right? I mean, five championships as a player. Uh Three as a coach now with the Warriors. Absolutely, uh, absolutely. Life, life is good. Uh, I mean, not much you can say about it. Like he's just a super successful guy. Yeah, no, yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Got to uh, how about, played for uh, Phil Jackson and Greg Popovich. So he, he learned. If he didn't learn how to coach from them, then he ain't gonna learn. All right. Yeah. Indeed. So the Warriors have Steph Curry. You're all familiar with him. Jordan Poole, who has been the talk of Warriors camp as going to be a breakout player for them. Still have Andrew Wiggins, Draymond Green, and Kavon Looney are their starting uh, players. Very, very respectable starting group. You know, you don't really see any major holes there. I mean, yeah, Looney isn't really like the biggest guy in the world. He's not going to. He's not going to win a matchup against Anthony Davis or Joel Embiid or anything like that, but he can hold his own against most players, right? Solid rotational big. Off the bench, uh, they got Damian Lee. They got Moses Moody, Jonathan Kaminga. Those two guys are their uh, first-round draft picks. They brought back Andre Iguodala, who he looked pretty done in Miami to me last year. Uh, He's back on a minimum deal. Brings great IQ, you know, no, good passer, knows what he's doing, can still guard for stretches, but I don't think he's going to be super involved here. I kind of see him in the like uh, the Mike Miller Denver Nuggets tenure role. Yeah, that's a good call. Um, yeah, they still have Juan Toscano Anderson, who's he's a fan favorite for them. I mean, he's he's a hustle guy, dives on the floor, crashes into people, plays good defense. Yeah, and then in the deep bench they got. Chris Chioza, they bring in Nemanja Bialica, who was on the Kings. Oh, they also have Otto Porter, who's had a pretty disappointing career, but there's a good player in there. And they also have James Wiseman, who was the number one pick last year. Last but not least, Got off to a decent start and then kind of tailed off, had some injuries. Warriors were trying to make playoffs and decided, you know what, he's not ready. We're just going to not given that many minutes. So he's sort of a big mystery to me uh, going into the season. What kind of, how much better did he get? Are they going to rely on him? Um, but but let's start at the top. I mean, Steph Curry, still in his prime. Some people think he should have won MVP last year. Some the numbers and the production was definitely there. The wins were not. So I'm not going to hold that against him. But historically, the way you vote on MVP you got you got to be a top four seed, and honestly, it's usually a top two or three seed. The one time that it wasn't was when Westbrook had a thirty point triple double. So Absolutely. I was okay with Westbrook winning that one. I mean, that's a pretty amazing accomplishment. So For Curry, sure. you know, you're the eight seed, and then you don't even make the playoffs. You lose in the playing game. 
I, I didn't feel bad that he didn't win the MVP. It was fun. It, it was a fun conversation to have him involved in. Yeah. Um, you know, Wiggins has, I don't know if turn the corner is the right word, but he's, it's like, I feel like every year he does a little bit better job of knowing who he is. Like he is. Yeah. Solid, he's embracing himself. Right. It's kind of like, you know how some guys get drafted super high and then if it doesn't work out, they just kind of mentally don't Check get out. there. Like, uh, yeah. you know, I mean, two different paths, but like, you know, Anthony Bennett washed out pretty much immediately. Kwame Brown mm-hmm. bounced around the league. But I think you have to say, even as a number one pick, Andrew Wiggins has had a much more successful career than Kwame Brown. I mean, absolutely. Andrew Wiggins still got the max contract, and you can make fun of it if you want, but like, you can do a lot worse than Andrew Wiggins as a wing player on your team. So mm-hmm. he's good for them. You know, he doesn't have to do everything. They got Curry. And then, of course, the elephant in the room is Clay Thompson is supposed to come back uh, later this year, maybe early next year in January. We don't know for sure. But if you're high on the Warriors this year, that's pretty much the reason is you think Clay's coming back and you think he's coming back with a vengeance because besides him, the team's just not that different from last year, which means they'll be competitive. But, you know, if you think the Warriors are going to be a threat to make the Western Conference Finals or even get to the finals, it's because you think Curry's still going to be Curry, Draymond's going to be Draymond, Clay's going to come back and be Clay, and then Jordan Poole's going to take a big step forward. So there's a lot of things right. that need to happen for this team to reach its potential. And I just think there's too many question marks. So if you look at the top teams in the West, I don't trust them quite enough to break through to be in that top six safely. I mean, yeah, there's, you know, the Clippers and the Nuggets are both starting with pretty significant injuries as well. But mm-hmm. I don't see this Warriors team getting off to a great start either without Clay Thompson for the first couple months of the season. Um, they're going to have some games where they look really good, right? I mean, this team has a lot of good shooters. Yep, they're going to blow some people out. You're going to blow some people out. Absolutely. They're going to blow some people out. The The concern I have is they're kind of small. I mean, they played surprisingly played pretty good defense last year, but – this isn't a team that's going to like kill you on the glass or beat you up. They're they're a finesse team. Um, they're a fast team. They're they're fun to watch. I mean, the Warriors. If you like basketball, this team moves the ball, runs runs up and down, shoots threes. You know, they're a modern NBA team. From a basketball purist perspective, absolutely. Uh, and and one of the things that I think about is their. You know, of course, I think about every team's ceiling, and I think about what their team's best lineup is. Kind of to your point. Um, I think about Seth Curry. I think about Andrew Wiggins. I think about Raymond Green. Uh, if hypothetically Jordan Poole maintains the form that he's in currently, uh, which seems to be breakout candidate, one of the you know leading breakout candidates of the year, and Clay Thompson slides back into that starting lineup, are you replacing Kevin Looney or are you replacing Kevin Poole? Because I think if you're replacing Kevin Looney. Steph, Poole, Wiggins, Green, and Clay, as you say, not a huge lineup. Uh, and I, it's interesting because, of course, they're talented, you know, and, and I don't expect that Clay will have to do too much besides shoot. 
but is that going to come at their detriment against specific teams in the league? Uh, I, I think that uh, is probably their biggest question. You know, and, and while I, I personally kind of have them in that sort of dark horse tier with uh, kind of with the Jazz, kind of with, I, I hesitate to say the Nuggets, but I think they're up there. I, I, I think I think if, if the Nuggets are playing the Warriors and it's uh, June and, and Clay is reasonably black, I, I think it's going to be uh, an interesting game. I think it's going to be competitive. So I think that's a good question about their best lineups. And I'm actually going to use history to answer that question because if you think sure. back to when they had the death lineup, uh, the death lineup was a phrase that was used even the year before they acquired Kevin Durant because they took Bogut out and then put Iguodala in there to run with Steph and Clay and Draymond. And right. What Steve Kerr said was, it's a really good lineup. It's not sustainable for 35 minutes a night because not just because it's too small in terms of effectiveness, but mm -hmm. it's too small in terms of the pounding, right? The guys, the beating you're going to take. You don't want Draymond right. starting at center and playing center all year. So even if Poole is a breakout, I think Looney's always going to be the nominal starter here the way Bogut was. Uh, mm -hmm. And then if he ends up being really good, your crunch time lineup might end up being what you said, where you would have to then have Wiggins or Clay play the power forward. You know, that'd be pretty small, but I assume it's Wiggins. it could be gangbusters on offense for sure. Yeah, and there's great spacing in that. Uh, do you think James Wiseman has, an, has a shot at kind of displacing Kevin Looney in their, in their starting unit this year? Uh, I definitely think he's talented enough to. I just don't think Kerr seems to trust him. And I don't really know what happened last year. I didn't follow the Warriors close enough to understand why he struggled so much in the middle of the year and towards the end. But it's a really fascinating position for Wiseman because to me, the talent just pops off the screen. But We've talked so many times on the show in general about how hard it is to make the transition from whatever bas level of basketball you were playing before this to come to the highest level of basketball, where it's the first mm -hmm. time in your life that you're not the best player on your team. So right. Wiseman is used to like posting up, give me the ball, and I'm going to do whatever I want. And now he's playing against guys that are bigger than him, and he's playing with a guy in Steph Curry who's a former MVP and Draymond who's a former Defensive Player of the Year. And soon Clay Thompson, who's you know one of the best shooters in the history of basketball. So, and even Andrew Wiggins, who's just like say what you want about him, former number number one overall pick. I mean, that that's how ridiculously deep the NBA is, right? Right. Yeah. Right. So, and in the bigs he's going up against at the high levels are going to be you know Carlisle Downs, Jokic, Anthony Davis, guys like that. And yeah, so it is an interesting question. Yeah. So it's it's not an apples to apples comparison, but we saw this a little bit with Michael Porter Jr., right? Where a really highly talented player gets drafted to a team that's really good. Um, I just think that when you're a center, your warts are like even more pronounced. 
I feel like when you're a young player, your warts are most pronounced as a center and as a point guard. MPJ has the luxury of being a forward, right? Like he's on the wing, so he's not the last line of defense, but he's also not being asked to guard the point of attack players. Right. Um, we know the problems that he's had, but with Wiseman, it's like if you're the center and you're asked to hedge on pick and rolls, box guys out, get all the rebounds, make free. This throws. is stuff. This is stuff that's really hard to do at the NBA level. All all rookies struggle with this. So Wiseman isn't special. I still don't understand people that are like, "Oh, I'm out on Wiseman," or "He's he's a bust. He's overrated." I'm like, in any normal year, he would be going to a bad team and he would be playing 30 minutes a game and learning how to play NBA basketball. Right. The Warriors don't have time for that, right? Clay and Draymond and Steph, they want to win now. So I've actually got my eye on him because the owner is talking like he wants this to be their next core, right? He wants to keep Wiseman, develop Moody and Kaminga, and then have mm. like a really good team for years to come, which I can respect that. But if Clay or Steph or Draymond go to management and say, Look, we're we're close. We don't have much time left, but we're still good. Let's win now. What does Bob Myers do? That's going to be fascinating, and it might not be a question that gets answered this trade deadline, but if the Warriors have a disappointing season, Ray, I could see major changes in the offseason to make one last run at it with this core. So say like the Warriors finish in the play, like seven seed, something like that. Right. That, that's the kind of picture you're thinking of? Yeah, like if they don't get out of the first round of the playoffs, they're mm. going to know that they need to make upgrades, right? I mean, right. probably an unfair comparison, but that's sort of the position the Blazers were in last year. I mean, you lose in the first round to a team that doesn't have a starting backcourt, they know they can't just run it back with the same roster. And they didn't quite make the upgrades they probably wanted to, but at least they made made some upgrades. The Warriors, I don't mm-hmm. see them just completely running it back next year if they don't win at least one round this year. And they definitely have, you know, ammunition in, in terms of oh, pursuing yeah. that kind of deal. You know, Jordan Poole is a young guy who maybe he doesn't, maybe he hits a wall at a certain point this year, but he's definitely shown that he has a high ceiling as a player. Uh, and obviously you have Wiseman and, and you got a number uh, of talented young guys, you know, in the, uh, on the bench of this roster, where you in a mix of guys who have the dollar amounts to kind of match salaries. And I'm thinking of like Otto Porter, uh, for example, what interests me is if James can fit into sort of, uh, you know how we talk about Nikola Jokic and the Nuggets and in, in, in the Nuggets offense as Jokic ball? Yeah. I would be interested to see if can James massage himself into Curry ball or, or whatever the Warriors want to call it as, as, as they function. You know, I, I look back at his, his stats last year. He, on one attempt a game, granted, he shot 31% from three, which I think, you know, okay, 31.6%. That's not good. That's not good enough to be a floor spacer for sure. But I also think, you know, we've talked about before, shooting is one of those things that is is very teachable in the league. And I think, you know, he can look around at other players on that team who are 
also, you know, not only elite shooters in terms of uh, Stephen Curry and Clay Thompson and the impact that they can have, but also guys who have taken their tutelage, you know, and I'm looking at Jordan Poole right now and, and sort of model himself that way and say, maybe I can be not a 40% shooter, but on, on high volume, but maybe I can be 33% good. And I think that would sort of uh, allow him to be not a star. You know, he's not going to be the center of attention in, in that Warriors death lineup, quote unquote. But it might allow them the flexibility to say, hey, we can put him out there and believe it's if it's not our best lineup, it's one of our best lineups and still be competitive. And I think that's probably one of the paths at the very least to contention for them mainly because, you know, if you're thinking about contending, you're thinking about competing with teams like the Lakers, like the Suns, like the Nuggets, like the Jazz. All of those teams have uh, elite top 10 big men at the very least. Uh, And I think you're going to need that kind of size to contend because, I mean, we've watched enough Nuggets games, you and I, to feel comfortable saying, you know, Draymond Green is, is one of the best defenders in the league. He's not slowing Jokic down. You know, that, that's that's not uh, that's not a 48-minute plan that they can enact and, and feel good about. I, I think maybe you can say, oh, well, I'll score somebody. But I think James and his ceiling is kind of linked to their ceiling in that way, where if he can find a way to be on the floor, uh, maybe even uh, – if not his three-point percentage, but his free throw percentage, I think 62% is not the worst for a big man. But if you can get that up to like 70, 75%, that is also effective. That's also helpful. Uh, and just be solid defensively. I think that would go a long way for them in terms of their, whether they're going to be, you know, in that six to 10 range, or if they're going to be in that three to five range, if that makes sense. So you think he's a big swing piece this year. You think you actually do see a scenario where Wiseman becomes like a big part of the rotation and maybe even a crunch time player for them. I I think so. I mean, I he's got the talent. It's hard for sure. to say. Yeah, it's because he has a talent and he has the tools and the skill set that you can say in your next two elite players, you're next to Seth Curry, right. you're next to Clay Thompson, you're next to Andrew Wiggins, you're next to Draymond Green, they're going to make the game easy for him. Uh, yeah. I'm not saying that he has to be, you know, a number one option on his team or anything like that, anything close even. Uh, he just has to give them another tool in the toolkit and allow them to be flexible in a way that they otherwise wouldn't. Uh, and I think that, yeah, that, that, that's a possibility for them. You know, uh, they're, they're, uh, you know, if they want to compete with the Lakers, if they want to compete with the Nuggets, if they want to compete with the Jazz, that's I think that's what they need. Uh, I want to ask you one last question. Obviously, Steph had a phenomenal season last year. Mm-hmm. Clay wasn't there. Do you have what's what's your level of concern just about his health and durability for this season? Do you think he's going to be the same player for the whole year? talking about clay thompson i would say no 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 steph curry uh oh steph curry sorry i lost you for a second steph i think will be himself more or less 
And I think that's always kind of been, uh, if not an MVP caliber player, someone who is uh, one of the most elite offensive engines in the league. And uh, I, I have a hard time seeing because of, because what he does is so, yes, there are these adjustments in terms of coaching that, and not coaching, I'm sorry, but refereeing that we've seen uh, in terms of uh, foul drawing and, and things like that. But at the end of the day, he's one of the best shooters, if not the best shooter of all time. And I don't think that's going anywhere. Uh, right. and, and to sort of uh, jump from there to the impact that other guys can have, I don't think Clay has to do a lot. And I think right. that's going to be uh, something that he's going to count on as a player is that he doesn't have to be, you know, you have Andrew Wiggins where he doesn't have to be the best defender and you have, you know, Steph Curry where he doesn't have to be the best offensive player either, uh, offensive perimeter player. He can just sort of, uh, I think he could be solid on defense uh, for the bulk of the season and just focus on, you know, catch and shoot plays and, and dribble three times a game and still be a very effective guy. So uh, I, I'm, that's I, true. They can kind of be release valves for each other and not one guy has to do everything once Clay comes back. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't see them as better than the Nuggets, for example, uh, but I definitely see them kind of in that area, that range. Uh, I think they'll definitely be better than the play in health, unless something happens like that, where, you know, heaven forbid, knock on wood, uh, you know, Clay has a relapse or a Steph gets or, or something like that. All right. Let's move down the coast to Staples Center and talk about the Los Angeles Clippers. Their head okay. coach is Ty Lu, who a lot of people forget has an NBA title with the Cleveland Cavaliers, famously came back from 3-1 down in the finals. His entire career was not just being, uh, well, let's not talk about it, but. <laughs> Stepped over by Iverson? <laughs> yeah, I was going to say that, but. Yeah. <laughs> but he's I done other things, too. A lot of people remember. Yeah, he's uh, done other things. That's good. So their starting lineup is listed as Colorado's own Reggie Jackson in the backcourt alongside Eric Bledsoe, who they got from Memphis via New Orleans, actually. He was a Grizzly for a little bit this summer. They still have Paul George, who's going to be their best healthy player this year, with Marcus Morris and Ivatsa Zubat up front. Uh, their best player, Kawhi Leonard, is not going to be starting the season and we don't even know if he's going to be finishing the season. He might be out for the whole year, recovering from a torn ACL. Um, for the purposes of this podcast, I'm just going to go ahead and assume that he's not coming back just because that's the easier way to do it. Obviously, mm -hmm. he could come back and that could change everything for them. But for now, we're going to have to assume Leonard not a part of this team this year. I think it kind of depends on like where they are also. you know, If, if they're towards the bottom of the conference and – you know, it's not looking like they're in the best of form. It's pretty much a lock that he's pretty like, okay, I'll, I'll just, I'll see you guys later. Uh, but you never know if they have a run and they're top four or something like that. I could definitely see at the very least some pressure for him to play. But uh, yeah, as you say, we'll see. And I am assuming I, I would, odds are he's not playing. That's what I would say. Um, right. So how about their bench? 
So we got Luke Kennard, second year on the Clippers, had pretty disappointing season for them last year. I mean, they're, they signed him to a big deal, and there were times in the season where he was out of the rotation. Um, he did have some good moments in the playoffs for them. They got Terrence Mann, who was an absolute revelation for them. Um, draft pick out of Florida State, played all four years in college, and he's just – man, he was like – a perfect guy for them as a fifth guy sometimes, especially when they went to that lineup of all guards and wings against Jazz, and he was just – he could hit wide-open threes. I mean, it's an important skill to have, and he could do it. Uh, yeah. They actually already signed him to an extension. They got him on a pretty cheap rookie deal for, I believe, this year next year, and then they signed him to an extension already, so they got him locked up. Uh, Nick Batum is still here. He looked a lot better when once he was back to just – being asked to do Nick Batum things, you know, rebound and play defense and make good passes. Uh, right. Serge Baca is still here. He's injured right now. He's He's been having back issues, so that's that's never good. That's not something you want to hear, especially from a guy already in his mid-30s. Uh, I don't know what to expect from Ibaka, um, but he's definitely on the back nine, so he's not going to be some super athletic, game-changing player if he comes back, I think he can still be a good rotational big, but his, let's be let's be honest, his best days are behind him. Uh, they bring in Isaiah Hartenstein, who's like a fringe NBA player, but he's a big body and he tries hard. Uh, doesn't always lead to good results, but he tries hard. Uh, they drafted Isn't Keon he, Johnson. I think he's kind of needed for them <laughs> Maybe. in that way. It's I mean, yeah. They drafted Keon Johnson from Tennessee. Uh, intriguing young guard, uh, and they bring in Justice Winslow, who, man, I was so high on him coming out of Duke, and his NBA career has just it just hit a wall. I mean, he never got better as a shooter. He's had a lot of injuries. I mean, he's still just an absolute physical specimen. I mean, if he got the right coaching and trainer, I, I still feel like he has the gifts of an all-star player, but he hasn't even really put it together to be a solid rotation player yet. So keep an eye on him. Right. Um, the, the Clippers have a lot of interesting pieces. I mean, what's so weird about the Clippers last year, Ray, is they go from this team who was billed two years ago as the favorites. Uh, they flame out in the playoffs in year one in the bubble. Blame it on the bubble and the pandemic. Okay, whatever. Okay. Now we're sort of back to normal-ish, well, more normal than it was. And what happens? Kawhi goes down, and then they rally and beat the Jazz anyway. And it was so unclipper-like. I mean, because <laughs> it was the right. best moment in franchise history. They get to the conference finals, first time ever. Clippers have been around like 50 years. They've one of the worst franchises in professional sports history in America. Let's be honest about that. Absolutely. They make, they, they make Browns, not, Cleveland Cavaliers, Teal, Tier, uh, bad. I can't believe you threw the Cavs in there. They've won a championship, but okay. You're uh, right. You're right. Uh, you know, it's, 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 it's summative. It's summative. Yeah. Um, so then you, so not only did they make the Western conference finals, but because Kawhi goes down, they are now viewed as like the sexy underdog, which of course made me want to throw up because I'm like, Paul George is now playing like he has no pressure and he's playing great. So 
I can't hate on them for that, but it's like, how crazy is that? What a difference a year makes, right? It's like you guys go from being the favorites to now you're like this plucky team that everybody's rooting for. So Mm -hmm. the Clippers are in a weird space because it feels like that's how everybody's viewing them again is like a team that has a bunch of interesting players and could make noise, but nobody's expecting them to be a threat. So they're just going to play loose and like there's no pressure. But I'm actually going to not be like that. I'm going to say this is year three of Kawhi and Paul George. And if they don't win it, then it's not working. This was supposed to be a championship contender. And this is going to be the third straight year that they're not going to make the finals. So is it working? I don't know. I mean, the Clippers are relevant. So obviously it's better to be relevant than to be bad. But I, I actually like a lot of pieces on this team. I think I think their ceiling is second round again. But they would have to play a team that's a really good matchup for them to get to the Western Conference Finals like the Jazz. That was That was a good matchup for them. But also, you know, Mitchell and Conley were hurt, so... I think they'll make the playoffs, but I don't. I don't think they're going to be a top four seed or anything like that. Yeah, I, I would definitely agree with that. I kind of see uh, on the high end maybe a six seed. That would be interesting, and on the low end maybe tenth. You know, just kind of sliding into the the playing games, just because. Uh, I, I mean, I think Paul George is going to play well, as you say, he's in a very low pressure situation, but they're not really one of my they're not one of the teams that i'm exactly keeping an eye on to a really deep extent kind of because it's uh they're not young enough to have a bunch of guys who you wonder how good they can be right and you kind of see a clear ceiling with this team now internally i'm sure they're hearing not necessarily what I'm saying, but people saying similar things around the league and, and uh, using that as sort of a rallying point. And I think great for them. Uh, I, I think Paul George may even be one of those guys kind of like Steph Curry last year, where you talk about him as an MVP conversation sort of guy, uh, because he's definitely going to put up numbers. He's going to have an opportunity to consistently produce but at the same time, they're likely not going to have the win totals that would. MVP voting is weird. You know, there's no clear set of rules, but, you know, like we've mentioned before, there's usually a threshold of winning that people look for. Uh, and I don't think that's something that they're going to hit. Um, is, is this an, are you interested in this team? Are you going to watch a lot of Clippers games? Um, I think it'll ebb and flow because I do think this team is talented enough to like go on winning streaks and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm actually kind of surprised at how well all these pieces fit together last year. Uh, I think we have to give Ty Lee some credit here. I mean, Reggie Jackson and Eric Bledsoe have both had flameouts in like other places they've been, right? Yeah. Even Reggie Jackson wasn't very good for the Clippers in the playoffs two years ago. I mean, remember he came in in that – it was either game five or game six. He hadn't really played all game. Ty Lue wasn't happy with whatever he was getting from Lou Williams. Puts in Reggie Jackson, stunk it up for five minutes and went right back to the bench. And everybody's like, man, Reggie's pretty much done. Then now this past year, Reggie Jackson like completely resurrected himself. So 
maybe he's just finally over the injury issues. But when I look at Reggie Jackson, Eric Bledsoe, and Paul George, they're all guys that can be really good players, but they also have injury concerns. So mm-hmm. I think this, there's a there's a path for this team, Ray, if everything goes right, that they could like sniff 50 wins. Uh, you think so? Because I believe in their chemistry and I believe in Ty Lue. Uh, it's going to be, do they stay healthy? So, you know, you already got your best player out, but they've got a lot of guys who have had injuries here and there. So if this team stays healthy, they're going to, they could contend for a, for home court, I think. But I, I think you have to factor in one or two guys going down at some point, And I think they're going to be more in that six seed range. Interesting. I mean, I, I have them closer to 40 wins, kind of for the reason that you're stating, you know, maybe one guy misses a few games here or there. They have decent balance as a team. Uh, they've got shooters, defensive players, guards who can pass. But at the same time, yeah, their ceiling is very optimistic of a hit to me. I um, think the hard thing, too, like about the Clippers, Ray, is even though Paul George is the best player right now, He's a pretty willing passer. This team doesn't have like one guy who's the key. If you're the opponent, you say, we got to shut him down. This is a very cerebral, like a bunch of different guys can go off team. That's what kind of makes me think they could be a good regular season team is one night Reggie Jackson's going to have 30. Another night Terrence Mann's going to have 25. And then you're going to get the random Luke Kennard explosion. So the they got a lot of firepower. Yeah, I we could see, and 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 the, you know, and kind of what I mentioned earlier, you never know. Kawhi might find himself in a position where he didn't have to play all season, and now he can uh, come in to a team, and maybe that's kind of undercuts their long term chemistry in the playoffs. But Kawhi could come back late in the season and find himself in a position where he has an opportunity to compete. Uh, for what I don't know. But he'll definitely be in the mix if, you know, that sort of situation arises. Um, so a lot, of, they're definitely one of the most volatile teams that I could see in the Western Conference. Uh, did you have anything more to add before we uh, keep moving? No, I just, I just like their depth, unfortunately. Like, to me, if you look at, there's three teams <laughs> in the West, the Lakers, the Clippers, and the Warriors. They have pretty yeah. deep benches because those are the markets that just get those guys that are like towards the end of their career, cool with getting the minimum salary, but still can help you if they're only playing like 10, 15 minutes a game. The Clippers have guys like that, like Nick Batum, Justice Winslow. Those guys would get minutes, more minutes on different teams, but they decide they wouldn't. They'd rather just play basketball in LA. Right, right. Um, who are we uh, looking at next? So we're going to go across the hallway to the Los Angeles Lakers, who are coached Ah. by Frank Vogel, who was, a lot of people forget this, the third choice when he was hired, uh, but was the right choice because he won them a championship a couple years ago in the bubble. Uh, The Lakers had quite a shakeup this offseason, though. They do keep their two best players, Anthony Davis and LeBron James. But they bring in Russell Westbrook, 
and they bring in a bunch of other guys. Wayne Ellington, Kent Bazemore are the other projected stars. They've got Kendrick Nunn, Malik Monk, uh, Taylor Horton Tucker. He was on the team last year. He's still involved. They bring back Dwight Howard, and they bring in Carmelo Anthony. They bring back Rajon Rondo, and they sign Trevor Ariza and DeAndre Jordan. So this is, without looking it up, this has to be the oldest team in the league. Yeah, I, mean, I was going to say They've the got same thing. four guys that are 35 or older. This is a um, first team all AARP. I think there's some teams at the YMCA that could like get fast break points against this team. Yeah. Um, all jokes aside, still a very talented roster. I mean, you got you got like six guys here that are going to be Hall of Famers. Mm-hmm. Uh, LeBron, he he's still LeBron. Um, so as long as you got that guy, you got a chance. Uh, of course, last year they didn't win the playoffs because. Anthony Davis didn't finish the series, pulled his hamstring. LeBron didn't look great either. Um, I'm always going to trust LeBron. If we assume that LeBron's healthy, you know, a LeBron James, Anthony Davis team just isn't going to fall below like a four seed. I mean, that's just how good those two guys are. That's fair. There is so much new, so many new players on this team, though, that it's not going to surprise me if it takes them a while to get the chemistry figured out. Um, Yeah. LeBron, LeBron's whole career has pretty much been he's so good that whenever he goes to the bench, the team's going to get worse. It's not going to be any different this year, but it's going to be interesting to see what Vogel does if if those if they can tread water. Um, because LeBron, he's already got a record of saying like he doesn't want to play less minutes. He doesn't think that impacts injuries. You know, I'm not as smart as LeBron or know nearly as much about basketball or medicine, but just looking at simple math, to me. If you're playing 27 minutes a game versus 34 minutes a game, well, that's now seven more minutes a night that you have a chance of getting hurt. And I know that his immediate rebuttal to that would be, well, you can get hurt anytime. It's just a fluke thing. And my thing is like, yeah, but LeBron, you're not playing for the regular season anymore. You haven't been for forever. I think the Lakers should slow play this and not worry about seating. But, you know. Who knows? We'll see, we'll see how the season unfolds. I mean, they're already having a bunch of old guys get hurt, which was like the most predictable thing ever. So if you're the Lakers, you, you got to keep uh, an eye on the future. Yeah. The big picture. I also think in combination of the minute totals themselves, I also think for LeBron, it's how he's going to be playing. You know, 36 okay. minutes of being the number one guy, center of attention, the kind of play style that I think he'll be adopting in the playoffs, I think is a little bit different than the than 36 minutes of Russell Westbrook has the ball. I'm just chilling on the perimeter or on the wing or on the corner waiting for this outlet pass that I can shoot or, you know, make an easy, you know, pump and pump fake and drive or, or whatever it might be. I think that's going to be a little bit of a lower burden thing for him. And I, I kind of find that to be the key to that Russell Westbrook addition for them in the sense that you can, you can look at that roster and say, there's not a lot of good floor spacing here. And that's going to be really clunky, clunky and ugly. Uh, and I think that's going to be true for a lot of the time, but it's at the same time, it also is going to take a lot of the burden off of LeBron for 
being the sort of offensive engine at all times, especially in the regular season when you're playing Memphis, you're playing the Wizards, you're playing Orlando, you know, LeBron doesn't have to, even if he's playing, he doesn't have to be the one carrying the load for that team in that period. And if they can, I think the best case scenario for them is that Russell Westbrook does Russell Westbrook things, which is carries the team to 40 to 45 wins in a playoff berth. And from there, you know, if AD and LeBron are healthy, I think that is worthwhile for them uh, in terms of, in terms of that move and in terms of what would be a successful season for them uh, in terms of the regular season, of course, you know, whether or not they win in the playoffs, it's ultimately up to LeBron and AD and they're in where they actually are healthy. That's variable. But I am simultaneously high on the Lakers for doing that and getting that burden off of him and low on the Lakers for just the amount that I think we as fans and in media and people in general are labeling them the finals favorites. I think there's a lot of competition coming for them in, in how much they can be pushed and how often they're going to need LeBron to step in and become that center of attention is going to be a lot of the uh, difference between them getting to the seasons and healthy or not. Uh, or at the very least, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean someone's going to get hurt, but fatigue, you know, I think it's going to be a big factor for them, uh, for everyone, just because they're going to have to work hard. Uh, because their spacing is not necessarily going to be elite. And I mean, yeah, they can always make more moves. They can always, you know, you're going to find uh, if Austin Rivers is is no longer on the Nuggets for some reason, he can go to the Lakers and they probably really use him in a way that would be effective and because they need the floor spacing. And um, I think Austin is one of those guys or a player of that type who is older, who, you know, is looking for a role, who's willing to just buy into something. And it's LeBron James. So I hate the Lakers. I don't want them to succeed. But at the same time, I could see them by season's end, uh, if not a high seed, I could see them being in a good position in terms of the burden that they put on uh, their two best players going into the playoffs. Yeah. Uh, all good points. Um, I'm really impressed, you know, on a podcast where we did not plan to talk about the nuggets, you managed to bring up Austin rivers. So yeah. uh, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. You I keep your that. streak going. Yes, of course. That was like hall of fame stuff from you. Uh, so another interesting thing about this roster to me is, this is more of like the traditional model of the super team era, right? Where you mm -hmm. have three quote unquote stars and then a bunch of minimum guys. So right. this is like, if LeBron wins the championship this year, he will have earned it because let me just, I just want to read you the other names outside of the big three again on this roster. Wayne Ellington, Kent Bazemore, Kendrick Nunn, Malik Monk, Taylor Horton Tucker, Carmelo Anthony, 37 years old, Dwight Howard, 35 years old, Rajon Rondo, 35 years old, Trevor Ariza, 
36 years old. Ooh. And DeAndre Jordan, 34 years old. Yes. Um, Rondo and Howard obviously were here two years ago to win that championship in the bubble. Rondo did not look good last year for the Hawks or the Clippers. Um, out of all the guys I just named, like, how many guys do you trust, right? Because basketball is still five on five. I don't know how many people remember that, but it's not LeBron playing Durant one on one for the championship. It's five on that, five. That, that's not how it works. He, yeah. So oh. he's going to need a healthy Davis, number one. We, I think we both, we don't have to go over that again. Of course. Davis has to be healthy for any of this to work. Sure. He's the first domino. When hit, when LeBron and Davis are healthy, there you could really just throw any three guys out there and they'll at least compete. Mm-hmm. But somebody's gonna have to step up. The guy I was really shocked that they lost Ray was Caruso. I thought LeBron liked him. I thought that he knew his role and he played his role really well. So out of all the guys that they brought in, which guy is most likely to replace that? I guess the answer would be Kent Bazemore, but I don't think he's as good as Caruso. Right, and I think he is a little bit more offensively interested than Caruso. Um, yeah, it, it'll be. I mean, I, I I mostly agree with all those points. Like they're a really old team. <laughs> I think what they were thinking was it was a bet on they think Taylor Horton Tucker is going to be really good, mm-hmm. and he could be, but he's still young and inconsistent. Yeah, it, it's possible that he could. You could be two thirds into the season and he hits some kind of wall, so to speak, or maybe somebody goes down with an injury and there's a burden. You know, the, the shifts in uh, personal burden happen that that come with injuries, and, and that can. Uh... So, so to a thousand foot view, the Lakers are number one on my like preseason, if I would have like a preseason power ranking tier list, whatever it is, the Lakers just show up number one just because the talent, right? They have LeBron James, one of the best players of all time, Anthony Davis, one of the best bigs of all time. Debate, you know, we can debate is he a center, is he a power forward, is he top five, is he top ten, whatever. He's certainly of that caliber. Russell Westbrook, one of you know, a guy who averages a triple-double uh, for multiple seasons. Then you start to look at the you, – you look behind the curtain a little bit and, and you see what's supporting those guys, and I think that's really going to be the difference for them, uh, whether they have to uh, – is their top three going to have to be in playoff mode all year or half the year? or three quarters of the year, or one quarter of the year, or just the playoffs. You know, I think we saw that from Jokic last year where he sort of went into playoff mode early where he's like, okay, I'll just be the MVP every night. And You mean and, once Jamal went down? Yes. Yeah. Uh, and right. I think that he can absolutely do that. I think LeBron can absolutely do that as well. Anthony Davis is one of those guys, especially in the regular season, who can – you can question like the ceiling of a team led by Anthony Davis, but I think he can carry a team at least to the playoffs. Uh, but after that, you know, how much gas do they have left in a tank? Uh, it, when at that age, at the age group of a lot of those players, the gas tanks are already so limited. So uh, high ceiling for the Lakers at the same time, 
some uh, under underrated blowout potential as well. At least in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, you definitely have to give them respect of championship contender because they have LeBron and AD healthy to start, obviously. Uh, obviously, they need to stay healthy and not get worn down. So that's kind of what we got our eye on all season. I hope this isn't too lazy of a take, but I'm still kind of of the thought that I really don't care too much about what their regular season record is because to me, as we've learned, playoff basketball is just different. Mm -hmm. And yes, the Lakers are physical and equipped for that style of basketball. But here's my question. If Russell Westbrook can prove that he can fit in for the regular season and they can have a good record, that's fine. When it gets to playoff time, we know how competitive he is. He's going to want to win. Is he going to want to make the right play more often than not? Or is he going to want to put his head down and get to the cup, Russell Westbrook style? So he'll have some good playoff games. But I also think that, as we know, everything's scrutinized. You're not going to just sweep every series 4-0. When he has a bad game or they lose a game, is he going to come back the next game and play with a different mindset or is he going to try to make up for what he did because it seems like Westbrook a lot of times in the playoffs can kind of hijack possessions and on this team that's not going to work because they're just not going to be good enough to bail him out I feel like I mean and and Russell Westbrook has always kind of been on Russell Westbrook teams being the limiting factor as far as like how far they go and so it'll be interesting to see can he be a good catch and shoot guy to some extent? You know, can he shoot? Well, he's like the anti Ben Simmons, right? Right. The team's either going to win or lose because of Russ. Right. Like he's going down swinging. And he's always been that guy, you know, uh, whether you talk about the, you know, being on the Thunder or the Rockets or wherever he's been, ultimately, how far that team has gone in those high leverage moments, you know, he can put up a triple double in a playoff game. And in the last 45 seconds of the game, make the game about him in such a way that whether you win or whether you lost, yeah, it's because of Russell Westbrook. And Russell Westbrook does not have a lot of deep playoff runs, period. Right. Uh, Even though he's always in the playoffs. So I don't have too much to add. Um, Besides, I don't like the Lakers. I don't want them to succeed. (laughs) But uh, I'll, I'll be I'll be keeping an eye on them because obviously like they're their favorites and you know everyone's looking out for number one. Uh, we've got yep. two teams left. Uh, did you want to add anything to uh, my Lakers hate, or did you want to move on? Um, yeah, just to wrap up, I, I think we pretty much in lockstep agreement here. Favorites in the West, uh. But because the West is so good, I wouldn't be shocked if they lost before the Western Conference Finals. Mm -hmm. If they do, it's either going to be because of injury or because the rust thing just completely flames out or because the role players just all suck or they all get old. Like this, There's a bunch of different ways this could go bad. Right. But it's it's all going to be explainable. There's not – I don't see a scenario where like – they're all healthy and they're all playing well and a team is actually rises up and becomes better and beats them. And that would shock me. That's why they're barring the a trade that we've unforeseen, right? Right, right. That's why they're the favorites and that's why I hope they lose. 
Right. So they're kind of the favorites by default, if that makes sense. Yes. But there are still other teams that have puncher's chances of beating them. Absolutely. And one of them we're about to talk about right now, which is uh, everybody's darling, the Phoenix Suns. Okay. Uh, coached by Monty Williams. They missed the playoffs for a bunch of years in a row. And then last year, come out of nowhere. Well, they had a good run in the bubble. They were invited to the bubble. They go 8-0 in the bubble, but they had such a bad record that regular season that they still didn't qualify for the playoffs. But that propelled them into last year where they earned the number two seed in the West. Mm -hmm. And they make it all the way to the NBA Finals where they go up 2-0 on the Milwaukee Bucks. And at that point, Giannis had enough and said, I'm the best player in the series. And the Bucks won four straight. And the Suns didn't win the championship, but had a really good season and learned a lot from it. Right. And what a lot of people might have forgotten already is, number one, Chris Paul had a hand injury in the finals. He did not play very well in the last few games. So that could have changed the difference. But before that, they could have lost to the Los Angeles Clippers. They had a very famous play in uh, Phoenix sports history known as the Valley Oop. <laughs> uh, I'm sure you remember that play. Yeah. Uh, out of bounds. I believe there was like 0.2 seconds left. Games like guaranteed to go to overtime. Mm -hmm. But they throw it up perfectly for DeAndre Jordan, who dunks it pretty much as time expires. And... Uh, the Suns steal a game and end up winning that series. DeAndre Aiden. Uh, yeah, DeAndre Aiden. Oh, did I say somebody else? DeAndre Sorry. Jordan. Which, you know, coming from CP3, you know, uh, it's uh, oh, easy to associate. Right. Not the first DeAndre he's thrown lobs to. Okay, right, right, so I wasn't right. completely wrong. So their starting lineup is, some call him the point god, Chris Paul. His running mate in the backcourt, Devin Booker, mm -hmm. fresh off a gold medal in the Olympics. Mikhail Bridges, uh, their first-round pick from a few years ago who just signed a long-term extension. Yes. Jay Crowder is playing the four here. A little undersized, but pretty much like very common modern stretch four in today's NBA. Mm -hmm. And then DeAndre Ayton in the middle, who we'll come back and talk to in a minute because he's got a fascinating contract situation. On the bench, they've got Cameron Payne, who bounced around the league, was pretty much done at one point, and then had a career year last year in Phoenix. And they re-signed him to a long-term deal, so he's locked in. They trade for Landry Shamit, who's been a solid role player so far in his career, and they just extended him. And they still have Cameron Johnson, who they drafted a few years ago. They still have Frank the Tank, who wasn't really in the rotation last year, but had to play once Sarge got hurt. And they bring in JaVale McGee. Uh, so this is a very capable bench, and it's pretty much all locked in. Uh, they also have Alfred Payton, uh, Abdel Nader, and Jalen Smith, their first-round pick last year, who couldn't really crack their rotation but was good in summer league. Maybe he'll finally give them some valuable minutes. Um, but let's talk about DeAndre Ayton because DeAndre Ayton was the number one pick in the draft three years ago, mm -hmm. and a lot of people were critical because you remember who was on the board, right? Some guy named Luka Doncic. I don't even know who that is. Uh, I don't know who you're talking about. Right. And, of course, <laughs> you know, how is this explained? Oh, well, we already have Devin Booker. You know, you don't want another guy who needs the ball in his hands and blah, blah, blah. It's like, 
well, you should probably take the best player available. But you know what? It worked okay for the Suns. Aiton, not a bust. Very good, actually. Very definitely good, solid bust. two-way player. Yeah. Definitely not a bust. But I think we're going to great in the playoffs. He neutralized Jokic enough that that series was a sweep. They swept the Denver Nuggets, but the Nuggets didn't have all their horses. So, you know, give the Suns credit. They did what they had to do, but they had more talent. They were the better team in that series. Uh, they got past the Clippers without Kawhi. Uh, wasn't easy. I believe that they won in six. So, you know, good series, got it done. And then against the Bucks, you know, Aiton had some good games here and there, but he really wasn't that impactful. Uh, Giannis figured him out as time went on. Mm-hmm. And Aiton was eligible to be extended. He wanted a max contract, and the Suns said, we don't think you're worth that. And he is now going into the season without a new contract, and he will be a restricted free agent next season. Ray, what were your initial thoughts when you found out this piece of news? Uh, It wasn't my initial thought, but kind of to your point earlier, I mean, talking about that sort of decision that they made between Aiton and uh, taking a guy like Luca or even Trey Young, I mean, both of those guys are very clearly next contract players. And they, according to the Suns, DeAndre Aiden is not. So it's hard to see that as the right decision, even if the fit, you know, you can claim at the time is more ideal. And I think it, it kind of goes to a point that we're at in the league with bigs like Aiden. You know, there are some examples of uh, guys who are kind of breaking the mold at that size, you know, you think about Anthony Davis, you think about Jokic, you think about Joel Embiid, guys who are just so talented, so skilled that the limitations of being a big man are outweighed uh, where Aiton may not be that guy. And it it becomes interesting because I, I, you know, kind of like the Lakers, the Suns are one of those teams that are projected to be at the top of the league but now they have this question. Uh, and I, I think where before I was pretty much a lock on the Suns at the very least being top three, uh, you know, at, at the minimum and, and more likely than not top two or maybe even number one in the league in terms of record. Now I feel like there's this opportunity or maybe not an opportunity so much as a blowout potential with Peyton where if he's not happy, you know, he may not be the ideal teammate, the ideal fit that uh, he, that the Suns wish he was. And if he is, many players in this position, you know, I, I think back to the Gordon Hayward uh, contract negotiations where they said, okay, well, we'll let you play out this year and see what happens. You know, Gordon Hayward did not stay with the Jets. So, uh, I, I think as quickly as the Suns have risen to this high height, you know, they're thinking about going into a year where they've got Chris Paul, who's up there in age, and uh, Devin Booker as a pick and roll partner, who is a little volatile in terms of his position and how he feels uh, in terms of his commitment to the Suns. Um, so I, I think it turns them into another one of those teams with just uh, a lot of risk, you know, a little bit more variance. 
if everything goes well, I could see them. They're almost certainly top two in the league, but or top two in the West, I should say. But uh, you know, that's less and less a guarantee. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see if that becomes a distraction or not. I mean, Chris Paul, clearly the leader of the team. I mean, yeah, Booker's been there longer, but Paul more vocal. You know, I think he's going to keep everybody in order. He's probably telling, you know, DeAndre Aiden things like, you're fine, bet on yourself, you're going to have a big year, they'll give you the max. Yeah. I want to talk about the decision from the Suns' perspective, though, and here's why I find it fascinating. With... Today's front offices and looking so hard at the numbers and analytics and and even traditional stats, like I think Aiden didn't average even 20 points a game, right? He was like quite a bit under that. Uh, To me, when you have a guy who's playing that well, even if you don't think he's quite worth the max, it makes more sense to give him the max anyway, because if he's close, that means he's worth the max to somebody else. And if you don't like the fit, you can still trade him later. Um, Again, not an apples to apples comparison, but there was a lot of outrage and discussion about Michael Porter Jr. getting a max contract. He's in the same draft class. Mm -hmm. I think most people would be you know, honest with themselves and say that DeAndre Aiden has proven more in the NBA than, than Michael Porter Jr. has. So a lot of people think Aiden got a raw deal, and a lot of people would not have freaked out had Aiden gotten a max contract. There would have been maybe a few nerds here and there, oh, he's not worth it. But the problem is, now you disgruntle him, and now, well, you might. We'll see what happens. But you could lose him for nothing. Or you just end up having to match the max, which, like, you brought up Gordon Hayward, right? And that's that's exactly what I was thinking of. It's like, okay, you might keep him if he signs a max somewhere else, but is he going to be happy? I don't know. So I thought it was a strange decision to be like, well, look at this and look at these numbers. We just don't think he's worth it. It's like, he, it's possible he won't be. But the only, to me, the only better explanation would have been like, you don't actually think this guy is a hard worker. So you don't want to give him a max now and have him regress. Hmm. I didn't see that with him. I saw a lot of growth with him. Mm-hmm. Paul was in his ear a lot. He was not a selfish player. He was hustling on defense, boxing out. Like, he's a good defender, you know, and he sure. mostly takes good shots. Um, you know, there was, a, there was a lot of questions about him after his first couple of years. They were like, oh, how good is he going to be? I thought he had his best year yet. And because he's so physically dominating, I think he's just going to keep getting better. So maybe this will all just be silly in a in a year, and they'll just max him. But I thought it was a strange risk to take. Can I make a slight counterpoint? Uh, I'm going to start with his. Of course. Well, last thing real quick, though. I do think it was an owner decision. I think the owner trumped what the GM wanted to do. I'm sure the front office was probably split over this. They were probably like, what are we doing? Give them the max, but it's not their money. This is true. Uh, Not that I don't. This is not to say that I don't like DeAndre Ayton, but I'm just going to read off his career stat line. Okay. 178 games. Uh, He's been pretty healthy, you know, healthier than Michael Porter Jr., for example. 16 points a game, 10 rebounds a game, 10.6, 1.7 assists. 
Can you, uh, is that career or is that per 36? That's career. Uh, can you give me his per 36? Yeah, yeah, I can definitely do that. If, uh, so the thing I think about with him as a max player and that I wonder is if you traded him, what could you get that is comparable but a lot cheaper? You know, can you get can you find a guy to give you 16, 10, and one, one and a half that is not a max player? I kind of feel like you can't. You know, and I think right. that's, I mean you could get you could probably trade him for a Chris Tapp straight up, right? And then you'd be <laughs> You'd have a better shooter, but worse oh, well, defender. Yeah, uh, yeah. So I mean, so uh, per thirty six, he had he puts up eighteen point five points per thirty six minutes, uh, twelve okay. rebounds, and in terms of assists, one point nine assists. So eighteen. So yeah, not a passer. Yeah, I think, and I think that's really the main key uh, when you're talking about max players. Oftentimes, we're thinking about guys who can be focal points of a team uh, at least for periods, you know, of a season or a game on a game-to-game basis. And I think that's kind of the main question with him: is is he like the focal point? Is he a focal point of a team, or is he just the one of the most elite versions of? Uh, what a guy like Chris Paul or Devin Booker can utilize. And that's, and at that point, I think you, you're starting to get into sort of uh, money ball kinds of, can we spend half as much and get something 80% as good, you know? And, and I, I guess that's, that's where I see the argument against giving DeAndre eight in the max, but at the same time, you're, it does put sons in a position where like, in my opinion, uh, you know, and I've said this about like Aaron Gordon and other players who are coming in the last year of their deal for extensions, if they don't have an extension, you know, and they're going into free agency, chances are they're leaving. I think that's right. just, just anecdotally true. So I think you really should be right. looking on the about wall. trading them. Um, and I'm wondering, you know, not giving him the max and having him be on this rookie deal, it does give them some flexibility if they want to find a different center uh, who is a, maybe a little bit cheaper, but, you know, and you can mix and match salaries in an easier way. Uh, and you have a lot of value with him, of course. Um, do I think the Suns do that? I don't know particularly because they were so close to contending. I almost have to assume that they're going to be looking to run it back and not interrupt the flow that they have going. Um, so I, I, they're one of those teams that I'm a little, this is a little confusing. This it, it, it creates a lot of apprehension. I think for me, uh, of course, you know, they're going to be good. You know, you've got Chris Paul, you've got Devin Booker. I think even if DeAndre Aiden plays out this contract, he's going to do well. Uh, and maybe they win a championship. And maybe he says, okay, well, we won a championship and I'm ready to resign. And this is great. But maybe not. You know, maybe Chris Paul doesn't have the year. Maybe he's not healthy. Uh, maybe, the, you know, I think a lot of those players, 
besides Devin, uh, sorry, besides DeAndre Ayton are getting extensions. And I think that also, you know, you're looking at uh, Call Bridges and Campaign and Tamit and Johnson and, and these guys were like getting money before him. And I think I'm wondering, does that create a point of contention uh, just in the locker room? Uh, that that is that's going to be one of the things that I'm looking at with this team. Um, do you so? But but you you think the right thing to do was Maxim? Is that correct? Yeah. So not to really make a counterpoint to anything you said, but I actually want to expand a little bit on the bigger picture here, which is. I am not a huge fan of the structure of the NBA in terms of having max contracts because we would both agree that DeAndre Aiden is not in the elite tier of player, right? He's not on the Giannis, KD, Jokic level. Right. But the way the NBA works is you can only pay a guy so much money. So – when you're coming off your rookie contract and you're one of the best centers in the West and your team made it to the finals, you're kind of entitled to say, pay me, pay me as much as you can pay me. Yeah. Um, you know, and that's what he wants. And ask, let's be honest, if he, to go if he wasn't asking, if he wasn't asking for the max, we would be like, what is his agent doing? You know, that's fair. This guy, this guy should be getting the max. So it it was an interesting decision. You know, their owner is historically a cheapskate, yes. which is kind of funny that they announced those other deals. Um, you know, Bridges and Shamit. I guess they felt like those were those were good deals for them. But then here's the second point I wanted to hit on where you were you you brought up the analytics about how, oh, you can you can replace 90% of what he does with somebody who costs 50%. That may be true. However, uh, a smart conversation and narrative I've always heard about the Nuggets is Jokic is their best player. He's a floor raiser. Jamal is their second best player, and he's a ceiling raiser. Mm -hmm. And to me, DeAndre Aiden is not the best player on the Suns, but because of how good he is, he does so many things that nobody else on that roster can do. He's like the second or third reason that they were so good last year. And if you want to say third, that's fine. If you take him off the suns and you go with JaVale McGee and Frank Kaminsky and Jalen Smith, they're a much worse team. They're probably not a top four seed. Hypothetical. Say you traded him for James Wiseman. That's, that's not much worse team. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, And you could argue, you could argue argument that uh, you could get, James plus some assets and plus some picks or, or something like that. Um, but at the same time, you're at the very least taking a step back as a team, you know, uh, and you're looking at Chris Paul, right. who's in a position where they're trying to contend. He's trying to contend. He doesn't have a tons and tons of time left. So. Right. It's all about the puzzle pieces and how they fit together. You can't just look at contracts and production and say, it's apples to apples. It's mm. what is your worth to this team at this time? Right. How many people hated the price of the Drew, Drew Holiday trade? Well, guess what? They won the championship, so the price was worth it. Definitely you know? worth it. Um, the Nuggets just gave a big deal to Aaron Gordon that a lot of people thought was too expensive. Time will tell. 
DeAndre Ayton, maybe Max is overpaying, you know, by the numbers a little bit. But if they want to continue to be an upper echelon team in the West, they're going to need DeAndre Ayton on their team because they're not getting anybody better unless they somehow trade for Anthony Davis, Joel Embiid, or Nikola Jokic. So unless they know something I don't, it's in their best interest to keep DeAndre Ayton in the fold long term. Hey, I tend to agree. Uh, but just for humor's sake, before we move on to our last team, uh, what do you think he could be had for? Say he's not happy, he asks out, he's like, I don't like this. He's in the last year of his deal. He is the caliber maybe you could get, that he is. Maybe you could get Clint Capella and Cam Reddish from the Hawks. Would that make sense for both teams? I don't know. I I imagine it might take some, maybe some draft picks to fill it out, but maybe. Okay. I, I just I think this is way too early for this conversation. I, I, I don't agree. think they're thinking about trading him at all. I think they're just playing hardball for some reason. Yeah, and I think that's kind of what I get to is like, if that's the kind of trade you're looking at, is that exciting? Is that is that making you better? Um, I just I don't. Here's the part. Here's the other part I don't understand, Ray. Even if he does have a slightly step back year. Let's say he only averages like 15 and 10 this year. Somebody's still going to offer him a max. Absolutely. Andrew Wiggins got offered a max contract. The Kings will offer He's him better a than max. Andrew Wiggins. D'Angelo Russell is on a max contract. Yes. That is, so, that is true. Unless he just looks completely disinterested and his game and his confidence falls apart. Mm-hmm. The Thunder or the Knicks or whoever has cap space is going to offer him a max and be thrilled to have him. So, right, right. We'll right. see how it plays out. We will. Uh, uh, speaking of the Kings, as a team that uh, would definitely offer DeAndre Eaton the max because they love to offer max contracts, um, let's chat them up. Who, who, uh, let's, let's talk about our, our, our favorite, one of our favorite coaches in the league, Luke Walton. How, how is he doing? Oh my goodness. Luke Walton, uh, he ran the Lakers for a little bit. That didn't work out. Now he's with the Kings. Can't say it's worked out, but funnily enough, uh, the Kings won Summer League. Luke Walton was not the coach for Summer League, but they won Summer League. So that's a feel good thing for the organization. Summer League champs, yeah. Especially an organization like Sacramento, who's never made the finals and you know, you gotta you gotta find a way to hang banners. Yeah. So gotta hang Summer League Champions something. 2021. You can never take that away from them. Cannot. Starting starting lineup for the Kings is De'Aaron Fox, Tyrese Halliburton, Harrison Barnes, Rashawn Holmes, and in true Kings fashion, we're already off to a controversy before we even have any opinions on this team they have marvin bagley listed as their power forward and i just saw a report today that marvin bagley has been told that he is out of the rotation so it's 2021 and nothing's changed king's gonna kings kang's gonna kang's on the bench we have davion mitchell their first round pick who just looks phenomenal everybody seems to be in love with him as am i Buddy Heald, who was about to be traded, I believe, to the Lakers, and then the deal fell apart or somewhere else. But 
Buddy Hill is still here. I don't think he's going to end the season on the Kings because he's 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 like I don't know how to categorize him because he's better than three and D, but he's below All Star. Um, he's he's a good secondary piece. He's he's kind of in that uh that Tim Hardaway tier, I feel like, but yeah. not not quite as good an IQ as Tim Hardaway. He's a little more no conscience, like Buddy Heath's letting it fly. Like he's a gunner, but he gets hot. Uh, then they got Mo Harkless, Terrence Davis, and Tristan Thompson. And they've also got Alex Len back there on the bench, still in the NBA. Uh, Maryland this guy. team is this team's got some interesting players. I mean, I like Darren Fox, love Tyrese Halliburton. Barnes, solid, solid player. And Holmes is has made himself into a really nice NBA quality center. The thing that sucks for the Kings is Marvin Bagley's been a bust. Let's be honest. Like he's, he, you know, that we just talked about Aiton going ahead of Luca. The Kings had the number two pick in the draft. The Suns didn't take Luca, and the Sun and then the Kings take Marvin Bagley ahead of Luka Doncic. I mean, that's the kind of that's the kind of move that can just cripple your franchise for a decade, Ray. Correct. I mean, they still have good players here, but I mean, that's got to be the biggest what if of the last five years in the NBA, right? Definitely one of them. Uh, definitely one of them. And and they they scream to me. They're one of those teams that is on the mid tier, not contending treadmill. Unfortunately, where every year. I'm sorry, Kings fans, all three of you. Uh, every year they feel like, hey, we can compete. We can be in the playoffs. We're a playoff team. You know, we're, we're growing. We're young, we're up and coming. And unfortunately, the West is really deep. And they're kind of in the background. And they're not going to be so bad that they, you know, I definitely have them above teams like the Thunder and the Rockets. But at the same time, what is that getting them? I, I don't think it's a whole lot. And, and chances are they're likely not going to be even in the play-in games, um, which I think is really unfortunate. It would be – this is a team that I think kind of needs a reset. And uh, I think it's more at the top than it even is in terms of players. You know, I'm looking at Luke Walton. Uh, I'm looking at their front office as a whole, and I, I'm just not, I'm not enthused. You know, uh, I, I feel like they convince NBA fans that they could run an, a franchise better, and I, I don't think that's a good look. Uh, if I'm being honest, uh, they have a lot. They've of They've definitely been dysfunctional for yeah, a long time. They have a lot there. So to actually talk about the roster itself, you know, they are really deep at guard. And I think that's, they've, uh, for better, at the very least, they've been able to find talented guards who can come in and score and be kind of exciting to some extent. Uh, the buddy heel thing is kind of what weighs over this team to me as uh, what's going on here. Are you, I think he could contribute on a, on a competitive roster if he was on one. Uh, but right now he's on the bench, coming off the bench. I mean, maybe you start him because maybe you just play super small and you're not going to win anything anyway. But 
I think that's what they're going to do. I think they'll put Harrison up to the four mm-hmm. and have healed play the three or him and Halliburton kind of trade off there. Yeah. Uh, I just don't see it as it'll be fun. It'll be entertaining. You know, if, yeah. if the Kings are in town, you're likely to see a fun game with your team. But I mean, I don't know. They're one of those teams that I, I have a hard time having a lot to, yeah, get excited about. I mean, I, I, I like Mitchell. He's uh, an interesting prospect. But uh, what I, I guess what I would ask is, like, what stands out to you as the most interesting thing about the Kings? The most interesting thing about the Kings to me is how does this hierarchy work with De'Aaron Fox, Tyrese Halliburton, and Davion Mitchell? Because I like all three guys. People were, like, really confused when they took Mitchell. They're like, oh, they already have two guards. My thing is, look, there's only five players in basketball. You have to get your picks right, meaning you have to take the best player available. If you think Davion Mitchell's a stud, then you take him and you figure it out later. So I, I actually had no problem with the pick. And I'm going to give you a little tidbit of an interview I heard with him after they won Summer League. And this is, I really like this. With Mitchell. Yeah. They were asking him about it. And he said, Well, I won a championship in high school. I won a championship in college. And now I've won a championship in Summer League. I win everywhere I go. Now, that wasn't the direct quote, but they was like along those lines. Yeah. And I was like, Oh, man. So this kid's a winner. Poor kid. He's going to Sacramento. So <laughs> he's about to learn how to lose. But no, that, that's what's interesting about this roster. I mean, Harrison Barnes played at North Carolina, a lot of winning there. And then he won a championship with the Warriors. Mm-hmm. Uh, Darren Fox went to Kentucky, you know, so they got, they've got some, some pedigree guys here, even though they don't really have any NBA players, any guys that have won at the NBA level. Um, I mean, if you look at the bench, Mo Harkless, he's been to the playoffs. Tristan Thompson won a championship. Those guys are on the bench. Sure. Uh, I I like Mitchell. I think he's going to be a really good player, but this team, they look like they're, going to have to make a trade at some point and i personally think that if they could find a way to get ben simmons that could change their franchise because what we haven't mentioned yet is this wasn't just the worst team in the nba on defense last year right this was the worst defensive team of all time by the numbers so Drafting a guy like Mitchell, who's a good on-the-ball defender, is definitely going to help. But Bagley hasn't worked out. Barnes, he's a smart player, but a little slow-footed. Mm-hmm. Fox, he's kind of he's fast, but he goes for steals a lot. He's not really keeping a ton of guys in front of him all the time, which he should be able to do. So I'm actually kind of surprised that they were that bad on defense. I don't know if it's coaching or want to or or what, but. The, the problem with the Kings is they, they suffer a little bit from the same thing as the Pelicans do to me, which is like they have a bunch of young players that you get excited about, but not enough guys that have established themselves to know who they are and are ready to win. It's still a bunch of young guys. So I don't know 
what they're going to do because they've pretty much always operated as a team that's going for it, that's trying to make the playoffs. So right. if they do make a trade, I don't think they're going to make one of those trades to like get worse and tank. They're going to try to make a pl- trade to try to get into the eight seed. So mm-hmm. this team is starting off healthy. I think they're going to be in the mix all year for a playing spot. You think so? Um, we'll just have to see how good their crunch time lineup is and, you know, I, 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 I'm excited. I'm going to be watching the Kings this year is what I'm saying. I'm actually intrigued because they have a lot of players that that are interesting. I think they're a 12 seed. But um, my personal most interesting uh, point about the Kings, how can Vlade Divac mess this up? There's a trade that's going to happen. He's Isn't he gone? He's gone? Wow. I thought he stepped down. Oh, that's good. I might be cha- I might change my <laughs> now take. Now you're back in. I'm changing my I take on the spot. I'm changing my take on the spot. Vlade Divac is out. There's hope for the Kings. Kings Nation. You have hope. Uh, all you need to do is get rid of one Luke Walton and uh, go back in time. Hire Mike Malone. Keep him. And then you might be a decent team. But, um... um I forgot to mention if I'm going to throw out that I think the Kings should trade for Ben Simmons, I should, mm-hmm. it should probably be honest about who I'm going to put in the trade. So, okay. Hit I me. really like this guy as a player, but you got to give something up to get something. I think you got to trade De'Aaron Fox to the King, to the Sixers, you know, give the Sixers a dynamic backcourt player who can also shoot, but he's on a max contract. So, so, you know, you're trading similar money, I don't know who, what other pieces get moved around there. Maybe Buddy Heald's involved if the Sixers want him. Maybe you get back Seth Curry. But I like Halliburton, and I want Mitchell as my backcourt going forward. And then you bring in a guy like Ben Simmons who can play the three or the four, play great defense, and handle the ball. To me, that would significantly raise their ceiling because these three-guard lineups, they just they don't work that well. I mean, look how small the Blazers are. You know, they have great offense, but is a team that size going to win big in the playoffs? I don't see it. And the Kings, they're just trying to make the playoffs. So, right. And I think it's both, it's a defense thing, but it's also a rebounding thing. Yes. You're very liable. Possessions matter. To get sort of uh, bullied on the glass. And and so it'll be interesting. Uh, I, you've, you've raised my hopes about the Kings somehow. before before we wrap up, though, what do you think the Kings' record will be versus the Nuggets this season? Oh, um, I don't remember if they're playing two, uh, three times, or four times this let's year. Ass- Hopefully, just three. Let's assume three. So, I'm gonna say two and one Kings. The Nuggets pull one out this year. Hmm. I think we. I think the Nuggets sweep. I think Michael oh, Malone gets his revenge. So optimistic. I like it, though. I'm an optimistic guy. Uh, yeah. So uh, uh, did you have anything to add about the Kings, about their uh, high hopes for being the plan C? Um, I, I just think that the last two seasons have been unusual. And being back to an 82-game regular season mm-hmm. – helps a team like the Kings that are young, right? Mm-hmm. 
they're not just trying to slog through the season like the Lakers or the Nets are. This team is like hungry from day one because they haven't made the playoffs. So I haven't really been following them much this offseason, but winning the summer league is a good thing. And you have to think that the vibes are good to start at least. So as deep as the West is, to me, this is a team that's hungry, that's on the, the, the come up. And yeah, they've got flaws, they've got issues, but I'm just think they're going to be scratching and clawing for a play-in spot all year. I don't know if they get it, but I just think they're going to be entertaining. Entertaining is good. I, I think that's uh I can definitely believe in that. You know, I think every every team uh in the league is gonna be tuning in, or at the very least, uh whether they watch the game or the highlights for uh when the Kings come to town. So uh that wraps up the Pacific division for us. Next up will be the Northwest and our favorite Denver Nuggets. Uh It'll be an interesting conversation and we uh, may have an interesting addition for our little discussions here. Uh, have a great Ooh, night geez. and I will see you later. <laughs> <laughs>